But we can only do that if we are in a psychologically safe space. Otherwise, we're not going to do that. We're not going to take risks speaking up with some crazy idea. We're not even going to experiment. We're not going to have explorative conversations. So we're going to be stuck in this rut of innovation that hasn't happened. And very quickly, we could become obsolete or we could be lagging behind. And that's all to do with organizational cultures. What what does it feel like when we walk into your organization? Do we feel like we're in a learning organization? Or is it a controlling, fear-driven leadership style, which is actually, it's just going to bite you on the bum later. Welcome to Beeline, a podcast brought to you by the Hive Change Consultancy and hosted by its CEO, Andrew Tilling. In this ever-changing, unpredictable world, how do we as leaders make sure that we are enabling our teams, making a positive impact and navigating towards success? How do we ensure we're the kind of leaders that people want to follow? In order to address and answer some of these questions, we have put together this podcast series and invited some passionate and knowledgeable change makers to help us find the beeline the simplest way to bridge the gap between pain points and solutions and to give you the resources to support your leadership journey. Beeline, lead the way. One of our big passions at The Hive is helping people to work together better. We believe that it doesn't matter how smart you are, if you can't um, work together as an organisation, then your collective intelligence is zero. And for us, trying to help people to make those connections and work together better is is one of our major preoccupations. We're all look, always looking for ways uh, to help people to make that leap and to develop that that collective intelligence. So it's a real joy when we meet somebody who's coming from really a, a unique perspective, but really from the from the same space. My guest today has worked in all manner of different organisations, whether it's um, CERN uh, with a large Hadron Collider to HSBC to um, major humanitarian organizations around the world. And one thing that's really seemed to be a thread throughout her work is, is helping people to, well, be better together. So it is a real pleasure to introduce Deborah Abbott, the leader of Leading Dragons, onto Beeline. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you, Andrew. What a wonderful, a warm welcome. Pleasure to be here. Well, you're a lovely, warm person, so it kind of has that happen, really. We've had a few conversations previously, and, you know, we've, we've even talked a lot about how we can work together moving forward, because when we find good and wow, you know, we really want to connect with people. And one thing that really strikes me with you is that in the manner of, of different roles that you've played in different organizations, you always seem to take on, you know, the really big responsibilities and and deliver and then move on to the next and move on to the next and that's that just shows you know a real powerhouse of of skill and experience behind you can you tell me how you got from these kind of major projects and um working with these major organizations to well helping people connect better with people yeah well that's a uh... <laughs> That's a nice, nice, uh, big question to start with, Angie. Thank you. It's it's funny because 
just listening to you just then, there's a, a, a term that just popped into my head, which was comfort zone. And uh, since a very early age, I figured that um, life is not about staying in your comfort zone. And uh, what little choice did we have as we moved around from one country to the next for my, for my dad's work? So from England to Germany, from Germany to France, and each time we were parachuted into a, a local school where we had to learn the language, a new language, uh, make new friends, and at the same time kind of follow the curriculum. So yeah, comfort zone is is uh, anything but my comfort, if you like. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm comfortable, uncomfortable, if if you see what I mean. And so that's really helped me take on uh, new challenges and, and walk into the unknown and 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 figure it out as I go along and and work a lot with ambiguity. Yeah, I guess that thread is being obviously passionate uh, uh, around uh, you know uh, the, the the human factor and and group dynamics and and also I I figured out quite early on that I could pick up when people were misunderstanding each other or misinterpreting a message mm -hmm. and I guess that's something I don't know if I was born I guess I was born with it I don't know it's an interesting one isn't it because if you're going between different cultures and you are um, you're moving from one place to the next. I, my experience, I had something a little bit similar. My, my father was in the police. We did move around a little bit. And when I went into that new environment, you, you've got to figure out the lay of the land pretty quickly, right? I mean, it's part survival, it's part connections, it's part who we are and, and how we're wired as a tribe. But when we're used to understanding when we aren't connected, I guess it becomes easier to understand when other people aren't connected or, or kind of missed what's going on or being cut out of the loop and create sensitivities to that is that right is that where you're coming from yeah yeah definitely uh, it's it's uh it's true and you know you say the word connections and it's for me it's a very powerful word when you are when you realize that you've been disconnected from yourself then it's very difficult to to connect with others and yet um organizations people thrive in organizations thanks to human connections starting with self did you always thrive i mean you, when you worked through all these different organizations and you're taking on these these big roles uh you kind of always smashing it or no no <laughs> no um obviously not it's very complex and uh you know we're not machines we're, we're humans and you know I, I believe we're all work in progress and we do what we can and there's a yeah it's a multifaceted um complexity when you when you work inside an organization especially if you're working in um highly complex and highly political environments uh no i'm not smashing it i'm doing the best that i can mm. and that's probably what actually we we talked a bit earlier on just before we hit the record button about um hitting burnout mm. So that's a story that I, I shared, uh, I share sometimes, which is from a few years ago, realizing that you can do the best you can and still not get the acknowledgement that you that you seek. Yeah, so that's what I'm, I'm talking about self-connection now, isn't it? Uh, connection yeah. with and, uh, and when eventually I understood that I've got to stop doing that and just do the best I can then I'm I was able to slowly you know rebuild connection with myself wow so there's a lot to unpack there so let's just if that's okay to spend a moment with that so you were saying that one of the big drivers when you're working in this complex stakeholder environment 
and you're looking to progress as a as a professional for you what was important was some recognition i think it's important for all of us um that when we're doing a good job and things are progressing that well that job is done and you've got that acknowledgement but if that's never coming and we're constantly working harder and harder on ever more complex projects and challenges and often within a complex stakeholder environment you've got one person thinking that the project is one thing another one thinking it's something else and you've got to balance all these various different needs and and still deliver something of value to the world as as you're seeing it and you're experiencing it and what you know to be a good thing then that can feel like a hamster wheel that's just kind of going nowhere right that's exactly how i describe it so going yeah. in being in a hamster wheel and just going faster and faster and um and not being able to break out of that cycle um yeah. soon enough i guess we we both have our respective experiences around burnout but for me it was obviously i can say that now with a lot of perspective that it was a, a great teacher for me because if we are so attached to the outcome is because we are going through life driven by the ego and need and being so attached to the result to the outcome mm. and that's what can make us sick in the end i can really relate to that certainly my experience of it was um feeling like i guess less and less effective as a human being i mean you talked about that connection with self i think i was you know, I found myself becoming more and more disconnected with what was important to me. I felt that what I was doing was becoming less and less effective in actually getting results anyway, and not from my own direction, but request of others. And a bit of a disconnect with with what I felt was really inspiring in life. So kind of those, I think those three things, that kind of purpose, values, if you like, and your day-to-day there was disconnect between the three for me it was just everything became noise everything became frustration and nothing was ever refueling the tank it was and and there wasn't any room or any time to go and and refuel it in any other way because everything was so busy and everything mattered so much but somehow that disconnect was there and I felt like I had to I had to pull the plug take some time and and try to reconnect with the bit that was was me I guess. I mean, that's, uh, yeah, you're talking about refueling and it totally resonates everything that you've just shared there, which is, well, you can have the best toolbox in town. You can have everything around you that looks so perfect. And yet, if you don't have the energy, if you, if you can't refuel and you're, you're completely depleted of energy, nothing, there's nothing else. So you've got to start with energy. And when you don't have when you don't have energy, there's nothing at all. I think it was Albert Einstein who said um, everything is energy. Everything is. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, when I went through the dip piece of, of the, the burnout, I realized, wow, you know, when you don't have energy, you have nothing. And from there came the realization of the of one of my models, which is the emotional energy scale. Oh, I know. I love this piece. I think this is just so much value of it and and you know when I look at it and we'll make sure that there's a copy in the show notes for people who want to download it but um when people look at this model I mean you can connect with it instantly something about it really resonates and it's uh and I mean that's used to be a really overused word now I think it's something that we that we almost clamor for in everything from marketing to leadership to 
um, just in the way that we communicate with each other. But there's something about this which is which is quite visceral. It really speaks on the core level. So, yeah, tell us about this this model and um, how how it came to be. Yeah. So the <clears throat> the emotional energy scale is an inverted triangle, and you have at the bottom of the tip of the the triangle it says the word contracted. So when you're in a contracted um, energy state where you feel um, emotions uh, such as um, self-doubt or rejection or criticism, worry. You can also have other emotions that are even of lower vibrational frequency. It's around emotions that are not spoken about, that are still taboo today um, in the workplace. And as you work your way up towards the the top part of the um, inverted triangle of the emotional energy scale, you have your energy state expands and it expands with the other emotions that you you're able with that we're all able to feel which is inspiration empowerment and even joy and peace and then in in between the two you have what I call the stillness line as a human being we we go up and down throughout the day and throughout our lifetimes we're feeling all these different emotions as we go and the invitation here is to enhance our own self-awareness okay so where are we at at a given time um, in the day and how am I feeling right now for instance Andrew if you were to receive a an email that you really didn't expect would you like to come up with a, an emotion that probably happened recently where um, you receive some news or whatever do you know what? I kind of want to bring up something that happened yesterday uh, something something had happened in the business we'd, we'd missed something that was really important it wasn't affecting a client but it was just something that was kind of important to me you know and yeah I mean it one it really threw me for a loop I was frustrated that definitely turned into anger I did turn around and go do you know what I need a minute I'm just gonna step away from this for a minute because it's like my brain just got fried you know it wasn't quite seeing red it wasn't anything quite that serious but it was just kind of like there's no I'm not going to be making any effective decisions or making any sense to anybody right now unless I unless I I remove myself from this situation because because it was like a um there's nothing constructive that can come out of what's just about to happen was my um immediate so that's a, a great illustration of your your enhanced uh, self-awareness so what do you do then you stood up from your desk uh, I st- well, n- let, let's be honest. The first thing I did was I threw my glasses onto the de- well, tossed them onto the glass onto the desk, didn't quite smash them or anything. And then I went, no, hang on, that's not where I'm at. So I stood up and I went, I need a moment. I and I left the room, and I shut the door, and I went and lay down for a minute, and I was quite clenched and tense, and uh, yeah, did a bit of a rah. And how long did that last? Um, that time before you you were able to come back with a state to be able to to manage a kind of let go and get things into perspective took about two to three minutes before I could go. All right, there is a solution here. Let's get some perspective on this. Yes, it's annoying. Yes, it's important to you, but it's not the end of the world, and we can do something about it. And sure we need to go and make some decisions and I've got feedback to give and I've got to go and do all that and I've also got to I'm a leader and I've just left members of my team not knowing what state I'm in Mm. and that's also not fair on them so I've got to 
guaranteed that what the what the perspective is 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 going to be far more than uh what it is so i'm it's best to go back in there be human and honest and transparent but i'd say that i kind of went back in and we got we got the job done and got what needed to be done and i was able to communicate effectively but it took me later on i then had to go back and go for a long walk and just clear my head and just get come on yeah. i was gonna say like two minutes wow that's like yeah. super effective um, no that was not me done when i was working on my own I could really effectively manage my state. That was great. It was kind of like, you know, I, I studied meditation. I, you know, do martial arts. I, you know, so, okay, fine. I'll go and meditate. And I could, do you know what? I'm not feeling it today and things aren't quite right. And let me go and reflect on that. And I would meditate and I would walk and I would do all these different things. When you're in the middle of a business and things are pushing, it's hard. And as one Tibetan monk said to me, you know, you can't learn patience in a monastery. Right? You've got to go out where people are irritating and frustrating and annoying and do things which really annoy you, even if they had their best intentions at heart, right? It's that that's going to come up. And that's the only place where you can really learn how to do anything about it. And so while I don't think that I dealt with it in my best way, I felt that to take a moment and recognize that anything that I'm doing from that from a place of anger and frustration is not going to be serving or helping anybody but then that still meant that i had to give myself the time and the space later on and it took me it took me a good couple of hours i, I found a friend and just kind of judge, bring myself back into some kind of clarity and perspective and felt like i was a, a normal human being just by sheer coincidence that that's what happened yesterday you just picked my most difficult day to ask me a question about <laughs> but that's what happens it happens to all of us and you know, the fact that you went off for a couple of hours and so often we don't allow ourselves to craft out that space to go, okay, so I'm I'm currently in a contracted energy state and I really need to, I need to take myself out of this environment, you know, where I'm held hostage because that's the thing is that when we hold ourselves in a contracted energy state and, and keep it for a long time, it's because we're being held hostage either by a situation uh, another person or ourselves. Yeah. And that's fine. There's no judgment around that. We can't be talking about negative and positive emotions. No, they are emotions and they all have their own place. And, um, but then the, the question is, well, what are they giving you? And if they're giving you a positive or negative experience, this is where you can start having conversations with yourself. So then it's like, okay, so I'm in a contracted energy state right now. And just like you said, you went for a big walk, brilliant. But oftentimes, if we stay in that contracted energy state, we become very reactive and we have these knee-jerk reactions and they can become habits. Whereas if we pause and go, right, I need, I don't know, five minutes, a walk around the block, or I need more time, or I need the rest of the day off, I need to get out of here, whatever it takes, it's that self-management piece and, and managing our own energy to then come back up at least to stillness level where then we can start again um, at a higher vibrational frequency. Um, and I'm talking about vibrational frequency because scientifically every emotion has a vibration that is measured in Hertz. And um, it's recognizing those triggers and when we are held hostage. So to the, to the left of the inverted triangle model, we have the uh, personal power scale. And when we are held hostage, we are losing our personal power. So if, for example, Andrew, you were to tell me something that really upset me mm. and, and I spent the rest of the day 
uh, or the rest of the week upset for what you about something that you said to me I've given mm. given away so much of my personal power because you have a lot of power over me mm. and it's how how we can um, each one of us on, uh, on uh, from one day at a time in every situation with every person in every relationship how can we balance that personal power so that it's an allyship and at work what's so important I, I love working with you know group dynamics um, uh, team identity strengthening team identities and then working in we talked about stakeholders earlier Everyone's got stakeholder management. It can be a very, very complex environment of uh, multi-stakeholders. But what it, what is the partnership that you as a leader want to build with those stakeholders? Because you can, this is where I believe any relationship is transformable. Is that a word? Transformable? You can transform it through transformative conversations. Um, and that's what I'm doing right now with a, a couple of NGOs and their donors who work there. So they work a lot with uh, public funds, fundraising, and they have fundraising partners. Um, well, what is what is the partnership that you want to have with them? Is it still a transactional relationship or is it more of a purpose driven relationship? Mm. Which I guess if it's a purpose driven relationship, we're going to move up into that kind of more expansive stuff because that's around well purpose and inspiration is a very expansive state right and but if it's transactional I guess then we we get that anxiety we get that worry about whether or not people are going to come through it's difficult to build trust um, if you're relying on them but um, also there's that sense of distance rejection insecurity those kinds of things I guess could come up or it's Perhaps just, you know, it's a positive transactional relationship and just doing something there, but you're not really getting into that full, empowered, shared kind of state. I'm, I'm, and I'm using words, you know, looking at the model now, you know, and, and thinking it in terms of a relationship. Because that's that's really powerful. It kind of brings me back to this this feeling of where I got to yesterday. I don't think that was wholly to do with that one moment I think that was me trying to that was me holding a contracted state over some time We've, we had a big event last week so the business you know got to get straight back to it and then you know there's stuff that's been missed and you've got to get on top of that and so that pressure builds up we've been onboarding some people as well so you know that that's also taking time and then you suddenly see the to-do list and it's like there's a lot of different stuff going on there and then something happens and I think that's where I found it difficult and found myself reacting was because I've been, I think I would, it, it happened while I was in a contracted state mm -hmm. rather than me being in my, my full, well, look to use the words in the expansive, the compassionate, passionate, authentic, joy, freedom. That was not going on. That was not my morning. That was really not my morning. So I guess if you've got, a kind of relationship with somebody where you'll keep coming back to a place which is managing controlled contracted um is where i'm going where you've got a, an environment which a culture which is built around uh, anger rage shame blame all those kinds of things and you're trying to run effectively as an organization then you're never going to get into that space for very long where all the good ideas can come am i am i coming at this right is that what i'm saying yeah, definitely and and that has a very high cost to organizations who want to continue the the top-down power and control paradigm because what's happening today is with the 
accelerating uh, speed of change of the changing landscape in which we're working yeah? the the VUCA environment yeah so we're talking volatility uncertainty complexity ambiguity it's this world the new world paradigm that we're in at the moment right yeah and and in so we we need to, we need to be more agile we need to be innovative we need to not only not think out of the box we actually need to be thinking differently and um and that requires um moving into more of a creativity ideation space but we can only do that if we are in a psychologically safe space otherwise we're not going to do that we are not going to take risks or um uh, of speaking up with some crazy idea we're not even going to experiment we're not going to have explorative conversations so we're going to be stuck in this rut of you know innovation that hasn't happened and very quickly we could become obsolete or we could be lagging behind and so and that's all to do with culture or the organizational culture so you know what 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 does it feel like when we walk into your organization do we feel like we're in a learning organization where we're all equal, we all matter, we're going about our day in a purposeful way, we're having purposeful conversations, purposeful relationships, and we're holding a, a purposeful culture? Or is it like you were talking about earlier, which is sort of a, a controlling, a fear-driven uh, leadership style, which is actually, it's just going to bite you on the bum later. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very dear cost to continue doing what, you, what we've always been doing seven most expensive words in business is we've always done it like this ah. yeah so frustrating do you know i i had a, a very dear friend called Ahmed nushin who's a filmmaker and um every now and again we'll be working on some project he'd come and help out um in the theater that i was working in and he would always be all right so here's the scenario and it'll be a script he's got in his head you know i'm just trying to noodle this ending now how do you crash a helicopter in a way that's never been done before you know there was these kinds of things and um and i'd come up with an idea and i think that was a good one here you go yeah no and i'll come up with another one yeah well no because it's like that really and it's kind of like and i'd get disheartened you know and he'd say to me no andrew Remember, it's never the first idea. You've got to keep on going. It's normally about, in my experience, the 13th or 14th, where you start finding the really good ones. And it was just like, wow, you know? And so we'd sit with that one problem. How do you try to crash a helicopter? And it wasn't that he was just, you know, going for that, you know, oh, I, I fancy crashing one, so anybody got any ideas? This has been a problem that he'd been noodling for weeks. Mm. You know, how we're going to do that big moment. You know, to have that space, and, and it's like that Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, you know, that there's a, a famous discussion between the two of them on, well, working on Goodwill Hunting, where yeah, um, Ben Affleck said, you know, look, don't judge me on how bad my bad ideas are. Judge me on the quality of my good ideas when they come. It's just holding out for that space. But you need that space around you. And if if you're immediately going to get blamed and criticised and 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 dumped on the minute that one of your ideas goes wrong or doesn't work, you know, fail fast, fail quick, fail cheap, you know, um, unless we've, we've got that kind of approach and willingness to experiment and we've got that safe culture, you are just creating a space where people will only ever do what you tell them to do and guaranteed that's not going to be collective intelligence, right? And not only that, but you're, you're going to be burdened with the sole accountability 
of the outcome. Whereas if you were to open those questions and go, look, I don't have, actually, let, let's just put all our heads together and come up, let's see what we could come up with. Well, then that's shared accountability. And so what are you doing? You're actually empowering everyone in the team. And now they are, their energy levels are rising. And this is where innovation starts coming in. Because like, oh, we, we could try it this way. What about that way? Mm. And, um, and and so actually it's a win-win-win solution doing that and moving into collective. I have and several times I've had like business requesters who um are phone me up and they go, Yeah, okay. I said, Well, tell me, tell me a little bit about your team. What are the, what are your challenges? What's going on right now? And at some point they'll go, Yeah, well, you know what? I'm gonna go away for the weekend. I'm just gonna go away, I'm gonna lock myself up. I don't well, no distractions, and I'm gonna figure out what my team needs and how I can uh, be the best leader for them. And I'd be like, why are you doing that to yourself? Why don't you just go away and have a nice weekend with your family or whatever you want to do? And think about the questions that you want to ask your team. And then when you have your next team meeting in the following week, bring them together and ask them the questions around leadership because all the answers that you're looking for around the leadership styles about how to best lead your team and tap into their true potential they have all the answers now it's about you sort of bring them out of the surface by asking the quality questions because the quality of the answers will depend on the quality of the questions okay i am so going to noodle your brain on that so <laughs> this sounds to me like we're getting to a beeline so i'm going to let me just frame this up before we get there okay and we'll come back to the questions we need to ask so when i've got a culture where which is contracted um what i'm hearing from you is that one that i'm likely to be as a leader disconnected from myself um i am likely to be feeling very as you say low frequency contracted emotions um around anger rage anxiety shame criticism you can download the uh the model here um, disappointment, these kind of emotions are, are prevalent within the organization, that they're there, mm -hmm. that we've got choices and actions that, that are coming from those places um, that are often disconnected. Blame is likely to be a, uh, a common culture um, within that space and, and also a lack of willingness for people to take personal responsibility or accountability for their choices or actions or, or results or outcomes. Um, and I'm likely, it sounds like, to be seeing people experiencing burnout, that may be me, um, or high churn of, of staff, um, which are hard to retain. So I've got no doubt that the leaders listening to this podcast, um, if they have been have probably become into those kinds of environments knowing that they need to change that because you know we like to lead change so and where we want to get it to is that place which we all know is an empowered cultural state right where we've got connectivity among people um things are more compassionate courageous passionate purpose-led um, purpose-driven authentic um, all those words which tend to appear on, on the laminate on the fridge, but in fact are really important states um, that 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 require nurturing and protecting and building and and that sense of vulnerability around them. So if that's what good looks like, and that's the culture that we're looking to build, 
Um, and of course, what I'm seeing there is your personal power scale is right up high. So if we're looking at collective intelligence there, we're talking about a really empowered and engaged team, right? So if I'm the leader, what's the beeline to help me get from that contracted state into that expansive state with the team? And particularly, what are those questions I want to be asking my team, especially considering I'm going to be meeting my team in two days' time face for one of our face-to-faces. And I want to know the questions I need to ask, given that I was acting from a contracted space <laughs> just yesterday. So it depends what you're looking to do. Now, as an organizational leader, what some of my clients do is they prepare and they send out staff perception surveys. Okay? So this is not guesswork. This is actually hard data. And you are sending out these surveys to then collect and aggregate hard findings. So that's kind of actually the easy bit. So the questions, well, the questions would be, for example, um, on, I don't know, you can have scaling questions, you can have open questions, mm. you can have multiple choice questions, it depends how you want. And it's good to format actually all three, um, especially because the open questions allows the staff member to answer with their own words. And then you can see a pattern of, of keywords that could be keep coming up. But the questions would be, for instance, how encouraged do you feel um, about giving and receiving feedback? Mm. Or how important is feedback to, to you and the team? Staff perception service is a lot about feeling because that's, uh, and this goes back to the uh, uh, emotional energy scale. You can have more open questions, which would be around if there's one thing that you could change in the way that you work, uh, one thing that you could change in the organization, or one thing that you could change, or that's stifling the performance, uh, what, what is it? And uh, please elaborate. Nice. So there are lots of different, so it's, and then, and, and then once you've got that, the, the, these findings, so this is more of a formal uh, process, which is uh, usually run by a chief of staff or head of HR. And then once they uh, c- collect those findings and aggregate, aggregate those, um, <laughs> the hard bit, because that was the easy bit, the hard bit is, okay, so now what are we going to do? And often that, that's where people get stuck. What is the continuous improvement plan? What does it look like for us? How are we going to pull it together and roll our sleeves up and actually implement it? And that's the hard part. And that's where I come in. And that's where you come in as well. And we, we do the same. We do. I think that, I think I mean, there's a lot of value in bringing in an external perspective at that point. I think there's, you know, have you ever had that experience where you've had leaders say to you, it's so good to see them respond to somebody else say the thing I've been trying to say for a while, but because it's not coming from me, suddenly they're really open to it. Yeah. I think there's so much value in that. Yeah. You know? So even, but also the response rating, if you've got a larger organization, as you, Andrew, as a staff member, if you completed the survey last year and nothing happened, why are you going to do it again? So um, even actually crafting the message, you know, how are you going to message? How are you going to communicate the importance of this, staff survey and also what are you as as the senior leadership team what are you going to be doing with those findings I want to know because honestly uh, last last year it took me 45 minutes to complete the survey and I ain't going to be doing that again if nothing's going to happen after that 
Yeah, for sure. People don't get feedback fatigue. They get lack of response fatigue, right? Yeah. And then and then after that, when you 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 mentioned go back to your question, which is, were you, Andrew, with your team, you're actually going to be in a room together with your team? Yeah, face to face. It's so important because we're largely remote team. So to actually get a chance to meet face to face is, you know, golden, golden time. I mean, that's that's great. Yeah, it is. It's golden time. In fact, even I would invite you, even before you start getting into the, the nitty gritty in the team, just go, okay, so um, perhaps you, 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 you would typically check in, right? Okay, so before we even begin any of the exercises, what is the culture that we're going, that we, we're going to honor over the next two or three days or the next week? How are we gonna to work together to get the best, the most out of the days together? And even just capturing that culture, wow. putting it up there. So, for example, if you were to say like, oh, you know, um, you all agreed collectively that uh, punctuality was very important. I mean, I live in Switzerland, so it is very important punctuality over here, right? So imagine punctuality is up there and you've all agreed that that's going to be your culture, that you're going to be honoring through your behaviors collectively and individually over the next few days. Now, say, for example, you go for lunch. You come back, we'd agreed on the time. So let's say 13.10, we'd be back in the room to kick off the afternoon. And two of your team members kind of like, you know, just like wandering 10 minutes later. And they just take a seat and everyone ignores what's just happened. Mm. And it's like, okay, pause. What's happened just now? Oh, well, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, we're a bit late, you know. Oh, that's all right, that's fine. Really, is it all right? And then I would go, is it all right? Because then perhaps let's let's go back to the, the culture and uh, what we captured, what you captured, I just, I was just your scribe, yeah? What you captured, are you safeguarding? Are you guarding your culture collectively? So it's not only um, the latecomers, that are not to blame, but who are responsible, but actually as a collective, none of you said anything to them. Oh. So have you really been guarding your culture? Yes or no. And those who don't say anything, those who look at their shoes or they pretend they haven't seen or heard are doing just as much damage to their culture as those who are not respecting it overtly. You know, having experienced it on both sides, I'm very, very proud that in the hive, just going through the recruitment process that we've been through, how protective and and how well the team has embodied those values, mm. um, how, how protective they've been. Because it's, you know, you see people coming and going, oh, you've really got something quite special here. And it's like, well, one, I hope so. But two, it's amazing to have that told to me as a leader rather than as a founder trying to go look this is what i want to build it's people saying hi it's the first time i've met you and i just want to say just how you know how empathetic and you know your your team are it's kind of like thank you that's that's what i want to use you know it's like it, it's it's there it becomes it, i think that's when you know it's real you know when you when you see the team not only living it but but protecting it that that I, I i really relate to can i ask you how you how you how you how you got there <laughs> vulnerability um i'm i'm sitting here as a as a leader of a culture change organization 
trying to help organizations embody you know world-class cultures sitting here telling somebody in a public forum about how i almost lost my stuff yesterday you know and got angry over a, a relatively trivial thing you've got to do it because we're human beings and we're trying to build human cultures and that means that we've got to acknowledge the fact that one we're not perfect two most stuff is aspirational when you're trying to do something that really means something in the world and three it's still worth doing it you know we're going to fumble but we've got to have feedback my team hold me accountable they check me and i've invited them to do so but also i try to hold them accountable but what's accountability accountability is giving you the chance to to give the account. So it's about asking people what happened there, what's going on for you there, and giving space for the story to be heard, because do you know what, that builds the empathy. And it's about having the courage to take the journey to understand how somebody arrived at their ridiculous point of view. And if you can have that courage in that moment, then, and you can embed that as a culture to go, okay, first of all, help me understand. And then we can make some decisions rather than first, let me assume, make a command, see resistance and clean up the mess for three days before we either finally apologize and then we go back to business as usual that seems to me to be a, a better use of the time just to take those two minutes and, that, and that's just a, a beautiful example of your relationship with yourself and your connection with yourself because uh, not everyone is ready to get vulnerable most people prefer their comfort zone to their discomfort zone or uncomfort mm -hmm. zone and uh, and so you've you've just shown you've just illustrated that it's through vulnerability and not knowing all the answers that you you're empowering the rest of your team and you're building that uh, very healthy and beautiful culture. Do you know how to solve the world's biggest problems that we've got as a massive time pressure right now with regards to climate change? <laughs> I don't. Of course not. But is it worth having a go? Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think by working together, we'll find a way. And this is why what you do really fascinates me, because it's about it's about that oil. It's about that connection. It's about those interfaces. It's about that human bit. And it's about creating those states and those environments where people can function. And that seems to me an obvious hygiene factor just to be able to get to start a, to point A. But and yet we're starting from something very, very different with a lot of organizations. And we're talking about a lot of organizations which are already making significant impact upon the planet. And how do we flip that so that people are able to add the real value that they're capable of doing while still having to go through the systemic shift that they need to in order to to flip the switch and to turn that impact from from negative into positive? And I believe it's possible, but it's only going to work if if we acknowledge that, do you know what? actually we don't have the answers and we're going to have to fumble our way through this yeah and um and um i would like to just listening to you because my brain is just sparking off in all directions when i hear mm. you resources we talk about capacity building and we talk about resources oh we don't have enough time we don't have enough money we don't have enough people we don't have enough skills we don't. these are resources and we they're, they're brilliant for excuses as well forgive me, but it's a little bit true. Whereas we've got resources on one side, but there's also the resourcefulness. Oh, love it. But this is where, this is exactly all about the human connection. This is about the, the emotional energy scale. This is about who we are and what, 
innovation, you can have all the money and the time in the world, and you can have the best, uh, highest caliber people. That doesn't mean they're gonna, you're going to come up with innovation, innovative solutions. That doesn't mean that you're going to come up with agility. It doesn't mean that you're going to come up with a healthy culture. All that comes from resourcefulness. Let's move away from the excuses of not enough time, money, um, and people, and let's see, okay, so we these are all restricted. Okay, what can we do over here? It's resourcefulness, which I think is key. And those resources do exist in the world. And I think that's where if you can build healthy cultures within your organizations, you're in a much better place to build healthy partnerships with other organizations who may well just have the resources that you need to work together on 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 solving a, a you know, a real significant challenge. Yes, and that's just brought me to think about um, I, I'm, I live not far away from the EPFL, which is one of the top schools in the world. Um, it's a polytechnic, and I love going in to, to listen to pitches of, of, of startups. So they could be startups or they could be scale-ups uh, looking for more money. There was in the audience some um, senior leaders of a watchmaking, a very old watchmaking company, Swiss company. So this was from Swiss history. Yeah. They, they're known for their Swiss watches, Swiss quality watches. And towards the end of the de- the, the evening, they, uh, they started speaking together and they built a partnership because the Swiss watchmakers had the, the precision and the expertise in working with titanium which apparently is a very difficult metal to work with. And the scale-up who had designed the, the concept and the, the construction of replacing vinyl plates through surgery, and they needed titanium, and they needed the titanium knowledge and expertise. And so they found a way to work together, and uh, they're now on the market, and they're rolling out their new product with, uh, with that. Fantastic. But unless we come together and explore, we're not going to find those answers, right? Who makes those kind of connections? It's a huge leap. So connectivity is hugely important. We're recognizing that creating a culture where there are values that are not only voiced and valued by the team, but embodied and protected by the team. It's creating that space where people can be accountable um, but also with vulnerability and recognizing there is always room to grow and to learn and creating that that safe space in order to do so. It's recognizing that we don't know necessarily what we're doing. It's situational humility, that belief and faith that together we can we can find a solution. It's just that it may not be necessarily clear right now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's w- willing to be resourceful rather than just rely on resources that may or may not be there. Um, and it's that creating that space, which is giving enough time for innovation uh, to try on ideas for size and and nurture and spark off those collaborations. Does that sound about right? Have I missed anything? No, and it's and it's true. It's about being explorative. If we can be, if if we choose to move away from the fixed mindset to a growth mindset, and to and to just have that you know, that desire, that appetite, that curiosity to, okay, I really want to know what you're doing. How can we work together? You know, I've got, I've got this idea, but let's see what else we could come up with. And let's have, let's have more of that, um, that, that in place. And honestly, it would make working more fun as well. 
After all, we spend 70% of our waking hours working at least. Fun's great. I like fun. Playfulness was something that uh, Gemma, in fact, the producer of Beeline brought uh, very much into the into the business. It was kind of like, come on, playfulness and joy. This yeah. is, you know, we're living here. So if we're, if we're going to live here, we might as well, you know, live properly. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's so important, you know, yeah. Yeah. because these problems that we're trying to solve are, are tough. And yeah. and a lot of people have got lives and livelihoods at stake and, and trying to address those things is is um, a huge responsibility for our leaders. And so creating that space where we can be human, I think, is an expansive, really makes a difference. We're, we are, uh, like a, a, a Qigong master said to me, we are human beings, we're not human doings. What's the biggest obstacle you've had to overcome in order to make a positive impact? Alignment. Tell me about alignment. Uh, when you have complex stakeholders who've got their own agendas, although on paper they seem to be aligned, uh, but actually they're not, and they have ulterior motives, and that's uh, exhausting. It can really deplete your energy. And how did I overcome it? It took a lot of sturdiness, consistency, and going back to vulnerability as well. So I was spearheading, um, as when I was working um, in a global private bank a few years ago, there were uh, stakeholders who were local, they were regional and they were global and just getting them all on the same page. And so it was like, all oh, lots of nodding heads. Yes, sure, sure, like this, until uh, in one meeting, it was obvious that there was a misalignment and I realized that it's probably either I was also creating that because they're all relying on me. So I was holding all the accountability. And then I was like, okay, I'm just going to pause here now. And I spoke from a vulnerable space. And I said, I can't do this on my own. And I'm not sure if this is going to work. And that's when they pulled their socks up. And they realized that it was time that they they start shifting their weight in order to make this work and that I couldn't do it on my own. So it was, that was my teacher. Mm. So vulnerability pays. It's brilliant. Deborah Abbott, thanks for being on Beeline. Thank you for having me, Andrew. Don't miss the next episode of Beeline when Andrew talks to Michael Croker, Head of Entertainment at the Village Roadshow Theme Park in Queensland, Australia. Michael is also a TV host, keynote speaker and coach. If you're interested to know more or could do with a reminder about today's episode or any of the other episodes in this series of Beeline, I've collated some notes, links and resources for you to explore and download at www consultthehive.com forward slash beeline. The Hive Change Consultancy provides radically effective training, coaching and facilitation that enables a dynamic shift in leaders, sales teams and entire organisational cultures. Get in touch today for an informal chat with one of our team. My name's Gemma Aston and you've been listening to Beeline. Lead the way.